0: Hello, my name is Andrew LaPosha and welcome to the Twilight Years. On today's episode, we will be discussing the death and final years of football star Walter Payton. Walter Payton was one of the most prolific football players. He started out playing for Jackson State University, where he was All American. He was then drafted by the Chicago Bears in 1975, becoming their star running back for his entire 13-year career. He won the 1977 MVP award, as well as his team winning the 1985 Super Bowl. He was also selected for the Pro Bowl nine times. He was also a prolific rusher, and he's held records in various categories, including touchdowns, carriers, and career rushing yards. By the time he retired in 1987, he had the most receptions by a non-receiver, as well as eight career touchdown passes. After his retirement, he was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, as well as the College Football Hall of Fame. Mike Ditka once said that Walter Payton was the greatest football player he had ever seen, but he added that he was an even greater human being. He accomplished so much in just a short lifespan. Yes, Walter Payton will be one of the younger deaths we will discuss on this podcast, but there is so much, his story could not be ignored. After Walter's retirement, he pursued several business ventures. One such venture was becoming co-owner of Dale Coyne Racing in the Kart Car World Series. He even took to racing himself, participating in several Trans Am Series events. When he first took up racing, a physical examination noticed some elevated liver enzymes. However, nobody thought much of it. On August twentieth, nineteen 1993, Walter was participating in the Road America event in Eckhart Lake, Wisconsin, driving a blue Ford Mustang Cobra. The race began without a hitch. As Walter drove on a curve, he was directly behind another driver named Dick Danielson. Danielson shifted into fourth gear and suddenly lost all power. While traveling at 130 miles per hour, Walter's front right tire nicked Nick Danielson's left rear tire. Walter's car then swerved off to the side, hit the guardrail, and flew 30 feet into the air. It then bounced four times and went over a fence. The final impact cut open the back of the car as well as slicing through a fuel cell. All of a sudden, the car caught on fire. Walter was briefly knocked unconscious, but he came to his senses and leapt out of the burning car. He was then rushed to a nearby tent and an ambulance was called. Meanwhile, his seven-year-old daughter, Brittany, had witnessed the whole thing. She ran to her father, who was laid out on a stretcher and started to cry. Walter then ended his silence, telling Brittany he was going to be okay. Walter was then taken to a nearby hospital called Valley View Medical Center. There, he was treated and discharged that night. After the incident, Walter gave up racing, something his family was very grateful for. Not too long after the crash at Eckhart Lake, Walter underwent a liver biopsy assessment because there was some concern of toxic exposure in the car's cockpit. Once again, elevated liver enzymes were found, but once again, no one was concerned. Over the next few years, Walter continued to pursue business ventures. Amongst other things, he was instrumental in getting the Los Angeles Rams franchise to move to St. Louis. Walter was busier than ever during the summer of 1998. He'd become one of three owners of a restaurant called Walter Payton's Roundhouse in Aurora, Illinois, and he also owned a kart racing team. Not only that, but his teenage son Jarrett had become a star football player at St. Viator High. He had become a good prospect for Division I colleges, and most were pursuing him. Walter loved that Jarrett was following him in his footsteps, and he enjoyed talking to potential recruiters. Despite all the excitement in his life, Walter, who always had a voracious appetite, was suddenly not eating as much. Walter didn't think much of it, thinking he had caught an intestinal bug. Friends noticed a slight change in appearance, like acne appearing, but they also brushed it off. On August 25, 1998, Walter went to his restaurant to tape The Monsters of the Midway, a WSCR radio show that he co-hosted every Tuesday. His business partner, Scott Asher, noticed a yellow tint to his eyes and skin and grew concerned. When he went on the air, he did fine, but Asher could tell something was wrong. After the airing, Walter grabbed a handful of mints. As he tried a few, he immediately spit them out. He asked his other business partner, Mark Alberts, to try one, and he noticed nothing different with them. One morning, as Walter put on aftershave, he noticed that it didn't smell the same. One day, his former teammate John Skibinski came to visit, and he noticed that Walter seemed to be in a grim mood. Eventually, his assistant, Ginny Quirk, and Kim Tucker, the director of the Walter Payton Foundation, convinced him to see a doctor. There, it was determined that he was suffering from vitamin toxicity. Several months earlier, Las Vegas-based radiologists approached Walter about being the spokesperson for a new anti-aging program. Walter was sent expensive human growth hormones and vitamins. However, Walter felt they were not helping, and he stopped the treatment. He was sure that it led to his diagnosis. However, others were not so sure. While they did think the vitamin intake could have been the culprit for the abdominal pain and acne, they didn't think it had anything to do with his loss of taste and smell. As time went on, his skin gained even more of a yellow tint. On top of that, he was suffering from major fatigue and was having trouble getting up in the morning. Whenever he ate, he would get gray-tinted diarrhea. He was also traveling a lot, which certainly did not help. His strength and appetite were only getting worse. Walter eventually scheduled an appointment at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. However, the world-renowned clinic was booked solid until December of that year, so he would have to wait. Walter checked into the clinic on December 17th and stayed there for three days. A series of tests were conducted. The results were not good. It was determined that Walter's liver and bile duct were messed up, and the problem was primary sclerosing cholangitis, or PSC for short. PSC is a very rare disease that affects three of 100,000 people. PSC scars the bile ducts, which carry bile from the liver to the small intestine to help digest food. That explained his loss of appetite. When these ducts get blocked, bile moves elsewhere, and then the immune system mistakenly harms its own tissue. A biliary stent was placed, and there was the report that Walter's body was responding well to treatment. However, any optimism quickly went away when Walter was told the stent would only temporarily help. He was prescribed the drug Actigal, which is commonly used to help with gallstones. Not only is PSC a rare disease, but it's also deadly. The progression of the disease varies, but eventually it will get worse. There is no established therapy and bile duct cancer can develop from it. In fact, one blood test stated that the cancer might have already been there. Walter was devastated by the news. On January 1, 1999, Walter checked into St. Mary's Hospital to undergo more tests. Walter was scared and had no idea what his prognosis was. At one point, a reporter received a tip about Walter going to the hospital. When the reporter got a hold of him, Walter replied that he was just there for a physical and that everything was fine. When he was discharged on January 4th, Walter was convinced he would be all right. However, the truth was that Walter had a year or two left to live at the very most. The doctor told him there was no medicine and that if he was still around after a year, he would need a liver transplant. Walter was convinced that a liver transplant would solve all of his problems. In Illinois, the average wait for a transplant was 127 days. He could wait, and the success rate of said transplant was 88%. Walter was still holding out hope that everything would be okay. He agreed with Quirk and Tucker that no more bad news was to be given to him. Quirk would do most of the talking with the Mayo Clinic, and Walter instructed the clinic not to give any information directly to his estranged wife, Connie. Walter called Connie and asked that they hold a family meeting with their two children. He firmly told his children that he needed a liver transplant. He didn't say anything about death. He kept positive. He continued to tell anyone that he would be fine. However, unbeknownst to Walter, a liver transplant was not going to help him. By the time he got to the Mayo Clinic the first time, the bile duct cancer had already spread to his lymph nodes and his liver. In fact, Walter wasn't even a candidate for a transplant. His chance of survival was nil. On January 29, 1999, Jarrett Payton was to hold a press conference at his school to announce that he would be attending the University of Miami on a football scholarship. Walter was in attendance at the press conference, but he appeared shrunken. By this point, he had lost 50 pounds. When asked about his weight loss, Walter explained that he was training to run a marathon. That night, Mark Jean Greco, who was the sports anchor at Chicago's WLS TV7, made a crack that Walter looked all shriveled up and that he resembled Mahatma Gandhi. He then added, "I think I could take him on." Walter was watching this particular broadcast and was very hurt by Jean Greco's remarks. There was also a rumor that he was dying from AIDS. After becoming very upset by the rumors and remarks made about him, Walter made the difficult decision to tell the truth. He would use the time slot from his radio show to hold a press conference. Various Chicago media outlets were invited to attend. Walter asked Tucker to write a speech, even though she had recently been discharged from the hospital for a ruptured appendix, receiving 40 stitches. When Walter arrived at the restaurant Calducci's, where the press conference would be held, he was shocked to see Connie there. He called Tucker and Quirk into the bathroom and angrily asked what she was doing there. Tucker shouted back that this could have been avoided if they had just filed for divorce. Walter kept his mouth shut after that. With Jared and Connie on both sides of him, he spoke about his disease. He stated, I can't lay around and mope around and hope everything is going to be okay. I'm still moving and grooving. When Walter was asked if he was scared, he replied that he was and that it was in God's hands whether he was to stick around or not. At the end of the press conference, he was asked if there was anything he wanted to tell his fans. Walter said, To the people that really care about me, just continue to pray. And for those who are going to say what they want to say, may God be with you also. Immediately after the press conference, Walter headed to O'Hare Airport to fly to Rochester for more tests. That night, talk show host Larry King called Walter's office. The two had never met before, but King left a message, not inviting him to come on his show, but to ask if he was okay. When the news reached Walter, he told Tucker to call Larry King back and tell him he'd like to appear on his show. The next day, Walter and Tucker returned to O'Hare to fly to New York. When they arrived at O'Hare, no fans approached him in the terminal. That was something that had never happened. When Walter appeared on the broadcast of Larry King Live, he wasn't the only one on that night. A panel of Senators Robert Byrd, Diane Feinstein, and John Gill were also on to discuss the impeachment trial, of President Bill Clinton. After King finished with them, he talked to Walter. Because the press conference had only been broadcast locally, most Americans had not yet seen the gaunt appearance of Walter Payton. During the interview, Walter stated that he was on the waiting list for a liver transplant, which wasn't true. He also made a plea to encourage people to be organ donors. After taking a couple of phone calls, the show ended, with what many have called one of the most moving moments of Larry King's 50-plus year career. Walter said that when he cried, they were tears of joy. King replied, We wish you everything you wish yourself. Godspeed, and when you get that transplant, you'll be sitting right here and well reminisce about carrying the football. After exchanging goodbyes, Walter said, Oh, God's with me. I'll be okay. If you're like me and you wanted to start a podcast, but were not very tech-savvy, you wouldn't have known what to do. Almost immediately, Walter was bombarded by an outpouring of love and support. Sports legends like Mike Ditka, Evil Knievel, and Michael Jordan all called with their well-wishes. Jay Leno sent a note saying that they were here for him, and then invited him to appear on The Tonight Show when he receives a new liver and to bring the old one in a jar. Walter appeared on Oprah and CBS This Morning, and Connie and Brittany accepted an award at the ESPYs on his behalf. By the end of the week, nearly 20,000 letters and packages had poured into his office. Some offered their own liver for him. Walter actually read many of the letters. One letter that especially touched him was from a young boy named Christopher, who also had a liver ailment. In the letter, Christopher said that his mother told him that God would take care of him, and that he would take care of Walter too. Walter wrote back to Christopher and kept the letter on his desk. When a Sports Illustrated writer came to interview Walter, he read the note aloud. Perhaps the biggest impact of Walter's news dealt with organ donations. The Illinois Secretary of State's office suddenly averaged 115 donor inquiries per day. Before that, the average was 12. He also filmed a commercial that would air during Touched by an Angel that prompted organ donation. In the ensuing weeks, there were conflicting reports about Walter's condition. Some reports stated that his liver disease had spread, but some reports said he had a good chance of receiving a new liver. However, the news that everyone had suspected was finally confirmed. He had cancer of the bile duct. Even though Walter didn't want to admit it, he knew that a transplant wasn't going to happen. He soon began making trips to Rochester for long and difficult chemotherapy sessions. When Walter wasn't at the Mayo Clinic, he still tried to keep active. He even took a trip to Las Vegas, at one point playing roulette for an hour. He also helped finalize a deal to bring Chicago and Arena Football League team in 2001. He even agreed to some speaking engagements on behalf of the auto company Bridgestone Firestone. On April 12, 1999, Walter went to Wrigley Field to throw out the first pitch at the home opener for the Chicago Cubs. He was picked up by his good friend and former teammate, Matt Suhey. As they drove to the ballpark, Walter said, maybe I'll do this again next year when I nip this thing. Suey didn't have the heart to tell him that Walter's situation was dire. He was given a Cubs jersey and baseball cap to wear. Walter was introduced and walked out to the pitcher's mound to a standing ovation. With all the strength he could muster, Walter threw the ball to Sammy Sosa, the team's star right fielder. In turn, he gave Walter a big bear hug. Cubs' first baseman, Mark Grace, later said, I hope he treats this disease like an oncoming defensive back. The day after the pitch, Walter was scheduled to speak at the Machinery Materials Conference and Exposition at Chicago's McCormick Place. However, he could barely get himself out of bed that morning and was forced to cancel. On May 10th, Walter's CA-19-9 levels were so high that the Mayo Clinic's doctors had to perform exploratory surgery. It was discovered that the cancer had spread to his lymph nodes. And not only that, but it was continuing to spread fast. If the Mayo Clinic's chemotherapy and radiation treatments didn't work, Walter would be dead within six months. There was a three-week protocol where he was supposed to be at Mayo Monday through Friday for various treatments. By the beginning of the third week, Walter had had enough. He wanted to go home. He made his last public appearance on July 25th when he attended a ceremony at the destiny church in hoffman estates however walter's pain was so great he left after 15 minutes eventually his appetite had deteriorated to the point that he had to be fed intravenously his weight continued to drop despite this he still told people that he was on the waiting list to receive a new liver and that his pager would go off any day there was no pager walter knew his situation was grim he didn't want anybody to feel sorry for him it wasn't about him He wanted to make others feel better. By late July, Walter's situation grew even worse. His kidneys were starting to fail. Walter moved into his second home, choosing to live out his final days there. Matsuhi came by on most days, often taking drives around his neighborhood. Sometimes they'd listen to the monsters of the Midway. Walter even called into the show once. On October 28, 1999, Jarrett received a call from his tight ends coach at the University of Miami saying he needed to go home immediately because his father wanted him there. Walter was near death at Midwestern Regional Medical Center in Waukegan. The next day, Walter asked to go home and requested a last meal of Chinese takeout. Some media outlets reported that Walter was in critical condition. Two radio stations, one in New York and one in Philadelphia, prematurely reported him dead. On November 1st, 1999, Walter's daughter Brittany was at school. At around noon, she was called to the principal's office, where she was told to go home. She returned home to find Jared and Connie hugging each other, crying. Connie asked Brittany if she wanted to see her father one last time. Brittany hugged her father and told him she loved him. While she was greatly upset, she was glad her father was finally at peace. Walter had died at the age of 45. Walter's funeral was held on November 5th at 10 a.m. at Connie's place of worship, the Life Changers International Church in Barrington Hills. Because of Walter's celebrity status, the funeral was invitation only. Even though Walter hated politics, the governor of Illinois and the mayor of Chicago were invited. O.J. Simpson was also considered, but Marcus Allen said he would not attend if Simpson was there. Walter's longtime girlfriend, Lita Gonzalez, wanted to come to the funeral, but Tucker told her no. The funeral was officiated by the church's 35-year-old founder, Gregory Dickow, who gave a cringy sermon. He talked about Walter being voted into the Hall of Fame, but then six years later was voted into the Hall of Faith. That vote was done by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, They had voted him in because Walter had accepted Jesus Christ into his life as his Lord and Savior. Walter believed in God, but he had never really been a religious person. Quirk later called the sermon embarrassing. After Dickow spoke, Jarrett, Walter's brother Eddie, John Madden, Mike Ditka, and Mike Singletary all gave moving eulogies. The day after the funeral, a public memorial service was held at Soldier Field, where thousands of spectators showed up. The 30-yard line on both sides of the field were repainted into a 34, which was Walter's jersey number. The play clock was also frozen at the number 34. Reverend Jesse Jackson spoke, as did Dan Hampton. For Jared and Brittany, the service was even more emotional than the funeral was. That season, the Chicago Bears wore number 34 patches on their jersey to pay tribute to Walter. He was cremated after his death. Today, Connie still heads the Walter and Connie Payton Foundation. She remarried in 2008 and still speaks highly of her late husband. Jared graduated from the University of Miami in 2004. He played briefly for the Tennessee Titans, the Amsterdam Admirals of NFL Europe, and two teams for the Canadian Football League. He got married on March 4, 2009, the date of which is written out as 3-4 in honor of his father. He founded the Jarrett Payton Foundation, a charity that strives to positively influence children in the Chicago area through a youth football camp and the anti-bullying program Project Noble. Both programs continue to expand. He also serves as a sports reporter for WGN-TV in Chicago. Brittany also works for the same station, hosting a local program called Chicago's Best. Walter Payton's legacy continues to live on in the best ways. Chicago reveres the man to this day as one of their greatest. He frequently appears on lists of the greatest football players of all time, and deservedly so. Not only is his football legacy highly regarded, but his humanitarian efforts are as well. His diagnosis and death raised a whole new kind of awareness for organ donations. You could say that in some way Walter Payton changed the world, and we should be grateful for that. Thank you all for listening to The Twilight Years. Please don't forget to subscribe, and if possible, leave me a review. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter. The links are included in the description of this episode. Do you have someone you would like to see talked about on this podcast? Let me know and I will do my best to get to them. Thank you again for listening. My name is Andrew Laposha, and I will see you next time.